Well, I appreciate you young men for taking up the offering and thank you Greg and those that serve with him to lead us in worship. I'm so glad that you were here today and I'm so glad that Haley made it this morning. Thank you for uh, being here. <laughs> I probably won't get very many opportunities so I got to take them while I've got them. So hope that you have a Bible with you this morning. I want you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. Hopefully when you came in, um, you got a copy of that bulletin on the back of that. There'll be some notes that if you want to use those or as you follow along, but we're going to be in Joshua chapter 24. Now when we left off uh, last Sunday, we were in Joshua chapter 7, so I realized that numerically we don't go from 7 to 24, but there's a little bit of a theme of what I'm trying to do. Um, We'll be in Joshua chapter 24 because we're looking at this picture of success. We're looking at these ideas of success and what it means to be successful. And then next Sunday, the plan right now is next Sunday, uh, Brother Greg is going to be bringing the morning uh, message during this time. I don't know if I'm leading the music for your sake. I hope not. But um, that, uh, so he's going to be preaching next Sunday morning. And then the next Sunday after that, I'm going to try to, um, the plan right now is to come in and talk about some of the pitfalls of success. So try to look at it from a positive standpoint of the, the, the key success and how it is that we become successful, remain successful. And then I want to come back and pick it up there at the Cenevacan, talking about some of the pitfalls that come and some of the things that hinder us in our success before God. But before we do that, I want to sit right here in Joshua chapter 24 for a few moments uh, this morning and just talking about how it is that we live successfully, both individually, corporately, how it is that we define and understand what success looks like in the world today. I probably, probably heard this story before, but there was a burglar one night that broke into a house. He thought it was a vacant house, and so he breaks into the house, and as he's moving his way through the house, he comes into the living room, and as he is creeping through the living room, he hears a voice. Jesus is watching you. And he stops in his tracks, and he thinks for a few moments... The voice stops, silence, resumes. And so he thinks, okay, go ahead. So he starts moving a little bit forward. And again, Jesus is watching you. He's trying to figure out where in the world this voice is coming from. And he's looking around. And there in the corner of the living room, he realizes he sees this birdcage. And inside of this birdcage, there is a parrot. And he looks at the parrot and says, are you the one that is talking? And he says, yes. The burglar looks at the parrot and says, what's your name? And he said, my name is Clarence. With a bit of a sneer in the voice, the burglar looks at the parrot and says, what kind of an idiot names a parrot Clarence? The parents, the parrot named Clarence smugly looks back at the burglar and says the same kind of idiot that names a 200-pound Rottweiler Jesus. <laughs> now, I think of that story from time to time, and you've probably heard it before, but I think about that because there's an apt reminder there. There is a timely principle that Jesus is always watching us. And whether you interject Jesus or God or Holy Spirit, we live with the reality that we are always being watched by our Creator. 
And when we are always being watched, whether it's yesterday, whatever you were engaged in yesterday, Jesus, God was watching you. What you are doing today, God is watching you. When we are sitting in here and we are worshiping and Greg and those are leading us in worship and it's a time for us to prepare our hearts, a time for us to offer up our voices to God, a time for us to get in that mindset of coming together and studying God's word and reading God's word and applying God's word, God is watching us. Something else he sees is our devotions. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Has to do with our devotions. I've been giving you these keys to success that I have been seeing, pointing you to out of the book of Joshua. And this morning, Joshua is going to talk about our devotion. He's going to talk about our devotion primarily to God. I am not going to talk about your devotion to your spouse or to your family. Primarily, I'm not talking about even your devotion to this church or your devotion to your employer. I am talking about this morning primarily about your devotion to God. In this very popular passage here in Joshua chapter chapter 24. We're going to pick it up in verse 14, but this very popular passage has to do, I believe, I want you to see with me, has to do with the place of our devotions. And primarily we're going to see just some different lessons that Joshua teaches us when it comes to devotion. The first lesson that I want you to see as I start reading here in verse 14 is that devotion, it is a choice. It is a choice. Notice in verse 14, look down there in your copy of God's Word. It says, now therefore, Joshua is speaking. He had gathered all the people together. They had come in. They had uh, conquered mostly the promised land. They had divvied up most of the promised land to the different tribes. The allotment has been given. Joshua is coming to the end of his life. He gathers all the people together. His final speech, you think about Moses when he gathered the people together. In his final speech, Joshua has them together. He's telling them of the need to serve God. And so he says in verse 14, now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua understood, and I think we need to understand this morning, that devotion is a choice. We choose who we are or what we are, whom we are devoted to. Devotion is a choice choice. There is not a single one of us that are here this morning against our spiritual will. God gives you the choice. Either you can accept him or you can rebel against him. You can reject him. You can rebel. You can refuse him. But the choice is yours. And I believe if you look right here in the passage, Joshua understood the answer. Joshua knows the answer. The question is, what does it take to be successful? How will I know if I'm pleasing God? How will I know if I've done everything that God wants me to do? And Joshua knows the answer to the question. The answer falls in the devotion of the person. See, we're living in a day and age that we think that we set the terms and we define what things are. We determine right from wrong. We determine what is acceptable and not acceptable. We decide what faithfulness looks like. When we look at the Word of God, we see time and time and time again through Scripture that when we disorder the design of God, we only create dysfunction. When we disorder the design of God, we only create dysfunction. So 
Joshua is looking at the people and he says, I want you to understand this thing called devotion to God. It's not necessarily by default. You're going to be devoted to something, but you're not guaranteed to be devoted to God. So you need to decide today, what are you going to be devoted to? Because what you are going to be devoted to is going to influence what your spouse is going to be devoted to and influence what your children are going to be devoted to, what your friends are going to be devoted to, what your co-workers are going to be devoted to, what your community is going to be devoted to. And it begins with you. And yet we're living in a time and a size of the day that everybody wants to blame someone else. Well, you know what? This church would be more effective if we had a better preacher. Well, this community might be reached if everybody would stop fighting. If that, if that church wouldn't talk about sin, if that church wouldn't talk about morality, if that church wouldn't talk about the things that are in the Bible that we don't like anymore, if that church would just start being more friendly, oh, we could reach so many more people. We have all of these things that we have an idea of trying to put the blame. And Joshua comes in and says, you need to take responsibility. Devotion is your choice. And so he just simply says, right there at the last part of verse 15, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He just makes it very clear that when it comes to devotion, he has made the decision. He's going to serve God. Which means it doesn't matter what your neighbor is doing. It doesn't matter what your children are doing. It doesn't matter what your spouse is doing. It doesn't matter what your employer is doing. It doesn't matter what your employees are doing. It doesn't matter what your friends are doing. It doesn't matter about everybody around you, what they are doing. You can choose to serve God. Because God is always watching you. And God realizes that you have the opportunity day in and day out to serve Him. So Joshua puts this challenge, if you will, before the people there in verse 15. And then you see how the people respond. And we get to see the second lesson that I want you to see with me when it comes to devotion. The second lesson is this. It is more than just a matter of words. It is more than a matter of words. Listen to how the people respond. So Joshua looks at him and says, okay, Either you're going to serve these idols and you're going to serve these foreign gods or you're going to serve the one true God. You choose today who you're going to serve. As for me, me and mine, we're serving God. And so listen to what the people say back. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the houses of slavery who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore we will also serve the Lord for he is our God. So if you were to take that on its face, you would think, man, they got it all figured out. They have it all figured out. They said, oh no, Joshua, we understand. We are on the same page with you. In other words, they knew the history. They knew the traditions. They knew what God had done to their forefathers. They knew what God had done in their midst. They knew exactly what to say. Years ago, I was at a church camp. Had you divided up in two sets of rooms and just to keep you occupied, sometimes there's that dull, sometimes there's that kind of that quiet before the service or before the event. People start getting restless, so the adults are like, we gotta get them, we gotta get them occupied, we gotta get them distracted. And so they had one side over here, and they uh, this side would stand up and they would say, We love Jesus, yes, we do. We love Jesus, how about you? And they would sit down. And this side over here, they'd stand up and they would say, we love Jesus, yes we do. We love Jesus, how about you? And the whole goal was, is who could scream the loudest? <laughs> and so this side would get up, nah! 
they'd sit down on this side would get up and they'd go back and forth and the adults are like genius they're entertaining themselves we don't have to do anything and this side was going and this side was going and they just keep going back and forth and they kept saying it and they kept saying it and they kept saying it and you can imagine my goodness they're just saying it over and over and over again but it was just talk for quite a few of them Latest statistics that I saw in the conservative estimate say that we are losing 70% of our young people after they graduate from high school. 70% of the professing believers that are attending a youth program in the common average church today, over 70% of them, once they graduate high school and move on into their life, check out of church. But but Spence, they were saying it. They were chanting it. They knew the words to say. They knew the history and the traditions. They had been to church. They had gone through the motions. They had all these things. And yes, yes, we know they said it, but it wasn't in here. They knew God with their heads, but not with their hearts. And it's not just a problem in children. It's a problem in adults. You own a Bible and you think that's sufficient. Your name's on a church roll and you think that's enough. People say, do you love Jesus? Yes, I love Jesus. You love Jesus? Oh, I love Jesus. I love Jesus? Yes, I do. I love Jesus. I'm just not devoted to him. I'm just not committed to him. I'm just not living like it every day. We sing these songs just a few moments ago, make me a blessing. Do we really mean that? Do we really want to be a blessing? You will sing the songs, we'll go through it, and Joshua is wanting to remind them it's more than just a matter of words. So he tells them, you're going to be devoted to someone, something, or some whom. Who is it that you're going to be devoted to? He said, I'm going to be devoted to God. What about you? And they come back here in verse 16 down through verse 18 and said, oh yeah, we got it. We got it. We know who God is. We know what God has done. Oh, we are going to serve God. So, But Joshua is going to point them in verse 19. Notice it says, but Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. I want you to see this third lesson that we get from Joshua, and that is that it's easy to be deceived. It's easy to be deceived. Joshua comes in and says, devotion is a choice. God is always watching you. God sees your devotions. God sees what you're devoted to. And he says, as far as for me, I'm going to be devoted to God. The people come back and say, oh yeah, yeah, us too. And Joshua says, no, no, no. No, no, no. This isn't something you just take flippantly. Because if you understood the God that created you, if you understood the God that has called you, if you understood the God that sent his son to die for you, if you understood the God that made it possible that you could be forgiven of your sins, you can be forgiven of your eternity in hell, that that made that way possible. When you cry out in confession and you cry out in repentance and you plead to be forgiven, the death, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the sufficient 
substitution so that God can forgive you and you can be saved when you understood the power of this God? You just aren't the same. And there's some things that we just get over way too easy. For years, Jaylen and I, we go out to eat and we always have a difference of opinion because she's fine waiting an hour and a half to get a table. I'm not. <laughs> I eat too often. It's not that big of a deal. When you're eating every three or four hours, if you're not going to wait for an hour and a half to eat just to eat another three hours, I'm like, no, let's go someplace else. I'm going to do this too often to sit there and spend an hour and a half. And normally, normally it's not even worth it when you do sit an hour and a half. But it's one of those things that we sit there and we think, oh my goodness, I just had this wonderful meal. And then guess what? Three hours later, I'm hungry. I get over it. Sometimes we've done that with Jesus. Sometimes we've done that with God. Sometimes we've done that with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We get in that moment and we bask in the glory of God. We worship God and we think, oh my goodness, God, you are so good. God, you are so loving. God, I give you my all. God, I'm making you the Lord of my life. God, I am yours to do whatever you want me to do. And then we get over it. So Joshua reminds them. It's easy to be deceived. It's easy to come in to say, to say that you are his, but it's easy to be deceived where you are trying to tell people that you're devoted to God, but your life says you're with something else. In other words, Joshua is calling them to reflect. That's why he says there in verse 19, you are not able to serve the Lord. Why? Because he is a holy God. Translation, you are not holy. You are not living holy. And if you think in your state you're going to come before a holy God, you need to understand that that holy God doesn't take kindly doesn't take kindly to your kind of people and the point that Joshua was trying to make is that they were taking God for granted how often do we do that we take God for granted I've been guilty myself saying something like this <laughs> it's better to ask for forgiveness than ask for permission I've said it myself. I've employed that myself. I've practiced that myself. But you know, at the core of that says, I'll worry about the consequences later. Or I've heard people even make this statement. Well, you know what? I think God will give me a pass on this. Or you'll make this statement. Well, you know, I'll just ask for forgiveness later. I'm going to do what I want, when I want, how I want, and I'll worry about God's consequences later. And we take flippantly the holiness of God. Not only would you take God for granted, but then notice Joshua is wanting them to understand they took their sin for granted. And notice he says there in verse 20, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then what is God going to do? He will turn and do you harm and consume you. He's saying do not take God for granted. Do not take your sin for granted. Do not be deceived. God knows the object of your devotions. And we think we can hide. You've been there before, haven't you? You're driving down the road. Sometimes the cruise is set. Sometimes you're not paying attention. You're driving down the road. And then you see the policeman. What do you do? <laughs> Maybe he didn't see me. If you saw him, he saw you. 
But all of a sudden, every, every single one of us, we slow down. Or, or you get brazen and you get kind of rebellious. You think, I'm not slowing down. And then he turns his lights on. About the time he gets you, you're like, oh, is he going to pull me over? And he just, like, he's like a psych. I mean, he just tries to... It's this idea we see somebody and we think we're all going to shudder, but the reality is we think we get away with it. I get up in the middle of the night and I think I'm going to sneak me a couple of snickerdoodles that mama has up there in the cabinet and nobody's going to be the wiser. God sees. God sees what's on your phone. God sees what you watch on television. God hears what you listen to on the radio. God hears the thoughts that come through your head. God knows your desires. God knows your pleasures. God knows your priorities. God knows what you are devoted to. You're not deceiving God. While this world may be quick to deceive us, to make us think that we get to define, that we get to reorganize, that we can reorder what God has already put in order, we think that we can disorder the design of God and come up with something on our own apart from dysfunction, even though we might be deceived. Sin might deceive us saying, oh, well, it's just a little bit. Nobody will know. Everybody's doing it. It'll just be a one-time thing. Oh, it won't be a big deal. God will overlook it. Sin has a way of deceiving us. Sin has a of leading us. Sin has a way of doing all these things that lead us into submitting ourselves to the sin and to the flesh. Even though we might be deceived, God is not deceived. And you see that there in verse 23. Now up to this point you might be listening and you may be saying, well Spence, didn't they say there in verse 18 the people said we know who God is, we serve God. And then Joshua comes back to him and goes, no, 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 no. Don't, don't this thing for granted. Don't be flippant. What do the people say? The people say there in verse 21, no, but we will serve the Lord. So the people look back at Joshua and say, no, Joshua, we're on God's team. We're going to serve God. And so many times that's where we're at in the church. We say, no, preacher, I've got it all together. No, preacher, I don't need any help. No, preacher, I'm right with God. That's what it says in verse 23. And this has, been just, this has been just burning on me because I wonder how much of this applies to us. Verse 23. He said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. Now I don't want you to pass over that. I don't want you to screws on back that. I don't want you to just ignore that and sleep over that. Listen to what he says. He's looking at the people. Joshua's looking at the people and he says, okay, so you say you're going to serve God. You know who this God is. You say you got it all together. Then put away the foreign gods. Translation, they had foreign idols. They had foreign gods. They had distractions, things that they were devoted to more than God. They had them amongst them. They had them present with them. They had them in their house. They had them in their living room. They had them in their pockets. They had them in their vehicles. They had these gods amongst them even while they're saying we are wholly devoted to God. Which is why Joshua looks at them in 23, in verse 23, and says, get away from it. Get away from those things. Put the foreign gods away. You would think that they would have already put the foreign gods away before they said they're going to be devoted to God. You would think they'd already put all that stuff out before they said we will serve God supremely. You'd think that they would have already done that. It's like they came 
to the church service with Joshua. And they left their idols at home and they get into the church service and Joshua says, you don't need to be practicing idol idolatry. You don't need to be worshiping idols. Oh, no, 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 no. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. And then he says, oh, yeah, go home and get him out of your house as well. And the people are like, ooh. He knows. So it doesn't really matter what you look like when you come in here. It's really not as much of a thing as far as how you dress, how you talk, your presentation when you come in here. God knows. And your devotion to God, number four, will be evident in your actions. It will be evident in your actions. What you are devoted to will be evident in your actions. So that's why Joshua looks back at the people there in verse 23. And he says, well then put away the foreign gods that are among you. Incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. I said I'm going to be devoted to God. You said you're going to be devoted to God. I tell you you can't be devoted to God and have a conflict of interest. I tell you you can't serve two gods at once. I tell you that God's not in the business of competition. I told you that you're not going to be able to have idols and have God. And they said, oh no, 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 we're on board. And he said, well then if you're on board, why do you got idols in your life? And how many times do we come to church and we say God is God and Jesus is Lord. And I'm devoted to God. I am sold out to God. I have my life right before God. I am in a right relationship and a right fellowship with God. I have this thing figured out. Preacher, I know what I'm doing. I am being faithful to God. And then we go out and leave here and go back to our idols. And we say we're devoted to God. That doesn't lead to success in the eyes of God. And how are we going to claim to be successful if we're not devoted to God? A lot of times we think obedience is a matter of our definition. I, I remind you this morning that obedience is correct action. Obedience is not action. Obedience is not movement. Obedience is not just participation. Obedience is correct action action. So as the people are standing there before Joshua and they said, no, we got it figured out. No, Joshua, we got it all together. No, Joshua, we understand exactly what we're supposed to do. He says, all right, well then if you're devoted to God, get rid of the idols that are distracting you. Get rid of the things that are putting you to God. Get rid of those things that are keeping you from doing what God wants you to do. And we do that, don't we? We place idols in our lives and then become distracted by those idols and then don't accept responsibility for the presence of those idols and then we don't get rid of the idols and then we fall into this cycle of idolatry, faithfulness, idolatry, faithfulness and then we wonder to ourselves, why can't we get past it? Because we never got rid of it I'm a sucker for ice cream in fact I think that ice cream should be healthy one of the questions and I'm going to ask God one day when I get to heaven is God <laughs> why did all the really good stuff why was that not healthy for me why can't I lose weight while I'm eating ice cream you know how skinny I would be if I could lose weight while I was eating ice cream but it's one of those things that when there's ice cream around it's hard for me to leave the ice cream alone the best way the best remedy for me not to just constantly be uh, grazing on ice cream is for it not to be in the house because if it's in the house what am I going to do 
ice cream. Ice cream, you scream. We all scream for ice cream. I'm going to want some ice cream. And so I know that my my self-discipline is not what it can be, not what it should be, and it definitely is not what it will be when it comes to ice cream. So there's those seasons of life that I just say, get it out of the house. If it's not in the house, then I don't have to be distracted by it. If it's not in the house, then I don't have to worry about it. If it's not in the house, it won't have any power over me. But there's spiritual idols that we have in our hearts and our lives today that keep us from being devoted to God the way we should. Some of those idols are put there by a society and a culture that is constantly putting pressures and strains upon you. Some of those idols you have put there yourself. And Joshua reminds the people that devotion requires you to do something. He says in verse 23, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and His voice we will obey. Verse 25, So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statues and rules for them at Shechem. And Shechem is just a place, a geographical location, just a pin on where they're at. And so he looks at the people and says, okay, <coughs> if you're going to serve God, then you've got to serve God solely. And they said, oh yeah, 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 we're on board. And he says, then put the idols away. Okay, we're going to put the idols away. We're going to be completely devoted to God. But Joshua understood. Joshua knew that there would just be a matter of time, just a matter of days before they reverted and fell right back to their own living, their own ways. They, they got good for a little while. It was January the 1st. Everybody made a New Year's resolution. He understood by January 5th, everybody was going to be off the track and giving up for the rest of the year. He understood that. So what does it say there in verse 25? God then used Joshua to write these statutes and rules down. In other words, God has given us means to guard our devotions. He understood. Joshua realized that those people were going to wonder. Those people were going to become distracted. Those people were going to forget. Those people were going to ignore. Those people were going to get to the point that they said, ah, we said it, but you know what? Things have changed. So he wrote it down. In other words, God's word. Why do we have a Bible? You ever wondered about that? Why do we have a Bible? Do we have a Bible so that people can twist and abuse? Do we have a Bible so that preachers can beat you over the head and make you feel guilty if you're not reading it or if you don't bring it to church? Do we have a Bible because we can score good in some quiz or so that we have something to base our Sunday school lessons off of? Why do we have a Bible? God could automatically download in your head everything he wants you to know about him, couldn't he? God could automatically download into your head everything that you need to know about how it is that you live right before him. God could supernaturally put everything in your brain. But he hasn't. Why? Could it be that God has used people inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down lessons, statutes, truths, write down rules for them so that when we prone to wonder, when we prone to stray, when we prone to have questions about definitions, when we prone to have ideas, is this right? Is this wrong? Are they true? Are they incorrect? We can come back to something tangible, something written down, something in black and white and says this is truth. We're living in a day and age 
that we wonder why are we losing 75% of our young people after high school. And this is just a suggestion. This is just an idea of mine. Maybe it's because we're sending them to godless institutions to be surrounded by godless ideologies and we wonder why they're being influenced by that. We are sending them there to be taught and trained, molded in the way they think. They left our environment. We never showed them or we didn't do an adequate job of showing them how to be authentic, to live in their faith. We told them the words to say. We showed them the actions to do, but we never lived and discipled them to have the faith in their heart. They just had it in their heads. And so they go out and they get around these ideologies and they succumb to these ideologies and we wonder why they leave the church. They didn't leave the church. They were never truly in the church. Because they were so caught up in this breed of Christianity today that just says, fake it till you make it. Joshua is going to remind them that there's the word of God. There's the word of God and this word of God is meant to be statutes. It's meant to be rules. It's meant to be guardrails that God gives us so that we know how our lives are to be governed. And your devotion to God will be evident in what you do with this book. I don't want to be legalistic here and I don't want to try to take liberties or or make assumptions, implications that aren't there. But I'm just going to tell you, your devotion to God is evident in what you do with this book. Do you know it? Do you read it? Do you submit to it? Do you yield to it? Do you treat this as its authority in life? Or do everything that comes up, you question and Google? Can you imagine 50 years ago looking at the church and saying Google had more authority than God's word? Can you imagine going back to a Martin Luther figure? Can you imagine going back to a John Wesley type figure? Can you imagine going back to a George Whitfield figure and saying, you know what, the day is coming when people will turn more to Google.com than they will to God's Word? Can you imagine what people would think about that? And yet we're living in a day that you will trust Google more than you will trust God's Word. It's evidence of our devotion. Let me get off your toes. So how do, we, how do we put this into application? They had this conversation going on. Joshua tells the people, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I encourage you to do. The people come back and say, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we'll do. He goes, no, no, no. Talk's cheap. Talk's cheap. Don't be sitting here and trying to uh, talk one way if you're going to live another way. And they said, no, no, no. We're going we're to live that way. And he said, good. Okay. Well, if you're going to live that way, then get rid of the idols in your life. They said, okay, we will. He wrote it all down. He, he leaves this out there. Shows us the importance of devotion for us to be successful in the eyes of God. So let me just give you in just a way of uh, putting a bow on this, just three points for us to take home with us this morning. The first one is this. Devotion is a daily choice. And it's a daily choice. It's not one of those things you come to church on Sunday and you're good until next Sunday. It's not like a bath. This isn't a bath. It's one of those things that's a daily choice. You wake every single morning. And you know what you wake up with? You wake up with temptation and desires and flesh. And you choose what to be devoted to every single day. I would love it so much if it was one of those things that when Jaylene and I said I do 16 plus years ago, it would have been so awesome if that was the last piece of effort I had to put into it. She's taking a lot of work. I'm just going to let you know. 
She's done more work on me, but I'm going to tell you that every single day, both of us wake up, and guess what we both do? We both wake up and say, I am committed to this person for the rest of my life, forever, for always, no matter what. And every single day, we wake up, and it's a devotion to one another that keeps on going. And that's what it is for God. That's where it comes to, we say, my devotion to God is a daily choice. But be aware, be knowledgeable. Number two, devotions are competitive. Devotions are competitive. There are all sorts of things in your life that are vying for that top spot. They're they're vying for that devotion. We want your attention. We want your minds. We want your eyeballs. We want your affection. We want your money. We want your uh, clicks. We want you. If you watch the social dilemma, and I would encourage you to watch the social dilemma, that will freak you out when it comes to some of the things that are going on in our world today. But it makes it very clear there in that documentary that we have gone from the product being the main prize or the product being the value to the consumer being the value. And this idea that you, people are vying for you. People are vying for your attention, for your desires, for your reviews, for you. And I'm going to tell you that devotions are competitive. I'm, I, I, hear me, hear me. There's a reason why sports is on Sunday. It's not an accident. There's a reason why we have moved to this 24-7 work environment. It's not by accident. Satan knows that if he can get your distraction off of the things of God by the things of this world, then he has you where he wants you. Devotions are competitive, but then this final one we're through. Devotion is worship. Devotion is worship. What have we been called to do? We've been called to worship God. To bring glory and honor to God. And so as we are devoted to God, it prompts worship. And as we worship God, it prompts devotion. The two go hand in hand. The two go back and forth. And so your devotion is not meant to be drudgery. Your devotion is not meant to be obligation. Your devotion is not meant to say, well, here I am. I'm showing up for jury duty, but I don't like it. That's not devotion to God. Devotion is worship. And I wish that some of you would remember that when you come into church. You got the sour face on. I'm going to come to church. I didn't tell you you have to come to church. An armed guard did not bring you in saying you have to come to church. It is a privilege and a gift to come into church. Now, I realize that may not be your most exciting thing to do today, and I realize that some of you walked in here tired. Go to sleep earlier. Wake up earlier. Change your habits Monday through Saturday so that Sunday you're ready for God because when you come into this place, it's an opportunity for us to worship corporately what God has done to us collectively. And you come in, and this devotion is a worship to God. So if you come in and you say, well, here I am. I'm devoted to God. Here I am. I'm ready to worship. That's not the way God designed it. And when we disorder the design of God, we come with dysfunction. It's the only question left for you this morning is where's your devotion? 
not asking for your excuses. I'm not asking for your justifications. I'm not asking for your rationales. I'm not asking for your well, but I thinks. I'm not asking for your, well, in my opinion, or I believe in my heart. I'm not asking for any of that. Because you know that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter about your devotion to me or what you say about your devotion to me. The only thing that matters is your devotion to God. Because every one of us in this room are going to stand before God one day. And our words will have their place. Our appearance will have its place. But God will not be deceived. God will know the condition of your heart. Are you devoted to God this morning? Here's what I'm going to do. Normally right this time I'd ask you to bow your heads. But I don't want you to bow your heads. Here's what I'm going to do. Greg's going to come in a few moments. I'm going to pray and then we're going to stand. We're just going to sing a time of invitation with Greg. Here's what I'm asking you to do. If this morning you'd be honest enough with yourself to look and to evaluate and to examine your life and your heart and to say, God, am I devoted to you the way that I should? Or if you were willing to be honest with yourself this morning and say, God, here I am. Show me the areas that I'm lacking in devotion. Show me the areas that I'm waning in my devotion to you. And then, God, once you show me, I'm going to do something about it. That's what this whole time of invitation is about. It's a time of response. As God, through His Spirit and through His Word, has spoken to our hearts, then we respond back to God. And I'm going to tell you that silence and inaction is still a response. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. When we stand, if your devotion to God is not where it should be, I'm begging you this morning to do something about it. What do you mean to do about it, Spence? Here's what I want you to do. Maybe when we stand, you just need to remain seated. And you just need to say, God, here I am. God, my devotions aren't what they should be. God, my devotions aren't what I know they should be. God, my devotions aren't what you want them to be. But God, here I am. I am presenting myself to you. God, look into my heart. God, speak to my heart. And God, direct my heart. And maybe today is just a day that you need to say, God, here I am. And you do business with God. When Christ came and he performed that job of the intermediary, you can go straight to God. The veil has been ripped. You don't need me to come between you and God. And I want to encourage you. If this morning you just need to say, God, here I am. Then you just stay seated. And you do business with God. Maybe there's something on your heart. Maybe there's something on your life. Something that you just say, I need to give it to God. That you can come up here. You can pray up here. You can just come if you want to. And I know this is something unorthodox that you don't see a lot. If you just need to come and just symbolically lay it up here. Just come up here. Just drop it on the, just drop it here at the front and go back to your chair. Just say, God, whatever it is, that distraction, that idol, whatever it is in your life. And you just need to get rid of it. Just come up here. Just drop it. And then go back to your seat. Maybe there's something else that I could pray with you about. I'll be right down here. I'd be happy to do that. But if you're here this morning, and either A, you've never made the decision to trust Lord, trust in Jesus with your Lord in your life, and you need to be saved this morning, I'd love to have that conversation. Or if you're here this morning, you're saying, Spence, I am distracted. Mo was saying this morning how busy life is. And you know, sometimes life has a way of you think you're the only person that's busy. 
no life is busy. Whatever it may be this morning. If your devotion to God is not what it should be. I pray that you will deal with it before you leave here this morning. You bow your heads with me.